you are more than a body. It seems like such a trite phrase, but it is completely life-changing when you live it. Have you ever felt bad about your body? If I'm being honest, I have thoughts about what I wish was different about my body almost every single day, and I'm sick of it. Well, if you're anything like me, get ready for your mind to be blown by Dr. Lexi Kite. She's one half of the twin sisters behind the nonprofit organization Beauty Redefined. And during our conversation for this episode of the podcast, I was brought to tears multiple times. There is just so much to unpack when it comes to body image. A little more about Lexi. Growing up as twins, Lexi and Lindsay Kite faced constant comparisons about their appearances from friends and strangers alike. As the years went by, they both found themselves critical of their bodies, so much so that they gave up something they both loved to do, competitive swimming, just so that they wouldn't have to be seen in public wearing a swimsuit anymore. Years later, the sisters went on to get doctorate degrees in the study of female body image and the effects media has on girls and women every day. The Kite sisters have been spreading their more than a body message for more than 10 years. And they're leading experts when it comes to body image resilience and media literacy. I encourage you to listen to this episode with your daughters or sisters and talk about your takeaways together. It's created some very wonderful and healing conversations in my house. Do you have a pressing question about parenting but don't know who to ask? We are women supporting women, and we've got you. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and welcome to the Mom Force Podcast brought to you by Chatbooks. But before we dive into the interview with Lexi, I wanted to share a quick photo tip. I have found a little routine that helps me keep my camera roll in check that I have dubbed the Sunday Select. I set aside five to 10 minutes every Sunday where I look back through the past week on my phone and I select the best photos by deleting all of the duplicates and screenshots and blurry photos. I also ask my teenagers to go and favorite the photos they like best so I know what is pre-approved to share or put in our chat books. Now, this simple habit has helped me so much when it comes to photo clutter. And then at the end of the month, it's a cinch to select your favorite 30 photos from the month for your month books. Now, if you've never heard of month books, let me just tell you, they are the easiest way to print photos from your camera roll, and they also make beautiful home decor. So if you haven't started your month book subscription yet, use this special promo code just for podcast listeners. It's season three, S-E-A-S-O-N three, and you can get your first book for free. All right. Good morning, Lexi. How are you? I am so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I am so looking forward to this chat. Uh, a couple months ago, actually it was in February, I watched a presentation that you did for the Utah Women's Leadership Group about your book with your sister. And I actually had all my girls watch it with me. I will say it was life-changing oh. because it you helped us learn a shared vocabulary where we could talk about these sensitive issues about body image and, you know, how the media and the world and history has oppressed us as women. And I have to say, as I as I watched that presentation and as I've read your book and I've, you know, followed you on Instagram and had more and more conversations with my girls, I have felt relieved and grateful for the work you're doing, but I've also felt this increasing fury build up in me, like anger about all that has happened in history up to this point that continues to happen, the struggles that I continue to have. And so the first question that I want to ask, um, oh, actually, I wanted to also mention, you know, 
So we have this long history, right? And I continue to have my own struggles. But I feel like I've been making progress as mm-hmm. I've been working through the concepts that you've been teaching. And then just the other day, I pull out of my neighborhood, and we have a big neon billboard just outside of our neighborhood. And there must be a new business in that in that office park because now there is a life-size neon sign um, of a woman's body from neck to knees in a bikini. Love it. Oh. Advertising a discount on the mommy makeover. and. Oh, in that moment, I'm like, how do you keep going? Like, do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle and helping women try to build a body image? No. And I bet that is a surprising answer. It is for me just listening to it. I mean, Lindsay and I have been steeped in this work for like 15 years now, more. And you'd think that we would just be so disgusted by the sexism, you know, that is just rife in our culture that we wouldn't even know how to go on. And we are steeped in it. We hear the most painful stories. People just unload to us in our DMs, in interviews, on the street. And yet we are more hopeful than we've ever been truly. And it's all because of like in this work we do for a long time, it did feel so, so just like exhausting and overwhelming to think about how people were suffering in such massive insurmountable ways. And then in our dissertation research, it's like the focus of all of our work is this idea of resilience, like body image resilience and body image resilience is that hope. Like it's this revolution we need so desperately because it takes that pain. It allows us to see it, to name it, to have a vocabulary for it. Like you talk about that. It banks on the fact that we will consistently feel this pain and shame that we will consistently, even every day be triggered by stuff like that ridiculous billboard, Mm -hmm. like comparing yourself to your sister-in-law that just lost some weight to whatever the thing might be, the photo you don't like of yourself. Body image resilience is banking on the fact that you will feel that but it allows you to see it, to name it and not to cope in the ways you used to not to make that plan for cosmetic surgery, the diet you have to go on before you feel like you qualify to be seen in the world. Body image resilience allows you to get angry. So that's an important first step. (laughs) It is so important. No, I love to hear you say that anger is part of it. If you're not angry, I don't think you're doing it right. Honestly. Okay. Well, and you just brought up a couple of things that I'm hoping that we can chat about here. What happens when you see a photo you don't like of yourself or what happens when you feel yourself comparing to someone else? And hopefully by the end of this chat, we will we will have learned how to create this resilience that you're talking about, because I don't think it's anything I've heard about before. No one's talking about body image resilience. So this is a new thing. And hopefully through this chat, we'll, we'll learn how what that is and how we can develop that. OK, as a woman of a certain age who is now officially postmenopausal, I turn 50 next year, I have a body that I barely recognize anymore sometimes. Um, and it literally feels like it's falling apart every day sometimes. So it's a losing battle of my own. But as women, our bodies change throughout our lifetime, right? Puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, and now this lovely world of postmenopausal. How can we feel good about our bodies when they keep changing on us? Like talk about a losing battle with like it's out there in our culture, but even with our own like flesh and blood. I love that question. I think that it gets to the heart of what we do, which is that in a world that continuously tells women that in order to be happy, in order to love our bodies, in order to be healthy and lovable, we must look a certain way. We must fit very prescribed, narrow ideals. We want you to know that when you change how you value your body, instead of how you view your body, that your whole world opens up. 
So it's one thing to feel beautiful, to feel sexy, to feel like you look good to other people, but that is fleeting. And you know, looking back at times in your life where you were closer to the ideals than you might be now, that you didn't necessarily have your happiest moments in your thinnest body. If I could have my high school body back when I thought I was fat. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> that's how you know that body image is an internal job, not an external job. Because when you yeah. look back on your life, your thinnest, your, your perkiest, your youngest times are not necessarily your happiest, most fulfilled, most loved, most successful times. They are just not. Of course, we believe that because that's the message we're sold. Billions of dollars right. in our economy are built on us believing that. So we'll think about our bodies as projects from like the roots in our hair to the size of our pores, the thickness of our brows, the length of our lashes, you know, all the way down. And instead, if you can change the way you value your body to see your body, as we say, as an instrument, not an ornament to experience your body from the inside, valuing how you feel, what you can do, what you've experienced, what you can experience. All of a sudden you have so much more power to live your life inside your body instead of prioritizing that outsider's perspective because yeah your body's going to change and we should be teaching kids that from the time they are just tiny your body will continuously change if you bank your happiness on how your body looks right now you're losing it's so hard though like i hear you say that and i'm like yes and as i read your book like all of everything you said resonated so deeply as truth but oh it just feels so hard because you know, there are things that I don't like about my body. Like there's my ankles. I don't like the way my ankles look. And I forget about them all through the winter because I'm wearing boots and jeans. But come <laughs> summer when I want to wear a cute skirt, I'm like, ugh. But you know what? Those are the same ankles that my grandmother had. And one of my daughters has them too. So I kind of hate myself for hating them. Like, how do you get over something like that? You prove yourself wrong. You show up with your ankles every day. You will, <laughs> seriously, you will continue to feel that shame about your ankles because it was probably baked in when you were really little. Like, honestly, it's probably something that you realized you didn't like when you were young. And it will probably always be a part of you to fight the shame you have about your ankles. And yet when you prove yourself wrong, those anxious fears that live in your head, they do not live in reality. When you prove those wrong by wearing the skirt, by wearing the sandals, by showing up with your ankles out anyway, you <laughs> prove to yourself again and again that you can be resilient in the face of these unreal ideals, that nobody is going to stop loving you or judging you because of your ankles. And you know what? If they do, it's a thought in a person's mind and it has no bearing on actual reality. We base our lives off of our worst fears of what we think somebody might be thinking when they look at us. And we That's police true. ourselves accordingly. We don't live our fullest, happiest, best lives because we're policing ourselves according to thoughts we think somebody else might have. That's not real. That's anxiety. So the way to get out of that is the second you wake up in the morning and you think, oh my gosh, I want to wear that outfit or the sun's out. I want to get out. But my ankles, like people are going <laughs> to, you come back into your body. You get back into it. That anxious cloud that is above your head. You feel that shame rise up, click back into your body, feel the anger that you have to even think about your ankles that you even okay. think about what they look like. You look down at them, bend them do some lunges, get back into your body, actually using them as an instrument in that moment, do whatever you like to do, moving your body with those ankles moving, put on the outfit that makes you happy, the color you like, the shoes you like, the style you like, and you prove yourself wrong by walking out the door anyway. And every time you do that, you're building up this resilience muscle. It gets so much easier after a while. 
you're not going to think about your ankles so much anymore. So even having the thought is like part of the process. Like it's okay to have the thought. It's just what you do after that and where you let your mind go. The point is that in your past, you probably had that thought a lot. And then you policed yourself accordingly. What shoes can I wear that hide my ankles? How can I keep my ankles out of photo. What can I do to make sure that this is a maxi dress instead of a midi dress? You know, whatever the thing might be you're doing instead. Now you hear that thought and you don't just swallow it back down. You have the opportunity to cope in a new way that serves you, that allows you to live your life inside your body, not policing it externally. So how are you going to do that to serve yourself, your daughter with those same ankles and everybody else who is out there living their lives and wants to see somebody who can just show up anyway, no matter what? Okay, I clearly have a lot of my own body images issues that I'm working through, and I'll talk more about that later. But you just brought up my daughter again because really the reason I care so much about this right now is because of my girls. I've got three girls. I have four boys too, and I know that boys are not immune to body image issues. I've experienced things and feel things way deeper than my husband has. And so for the for the purpose of this conversation, I really want to focus on how it affects women in particular. But I will say the hardest thing to hear as a mother is when my beautiful, strong, amazing, smart daughters tell me that they hate their bodies. Like literally make me cry right now because, I mean, it breaks your heart because I'm looking at this marvel, this like unique gift to the world. And she's worried that she's too tall or too fat or her neck is too thick or too short or, you know, any of the millions of things that women have, you know, my ankles, you know, we, we all have something that we can fixate and focus on. Yep. And even though I'm so grateful for this framework that you've laid out in your book and in the TED talk that you gave and everything, I, I still feel like as I talk about it, my words are hollow because part of me is just like, yeah, wants to say, I know, I know, I, I feel the same thing. How can we help as mothers help our children in these moments of crisis when our heart is breaking for them too? You be super vulnerable with them. I get it. I have a five-year-old daughter and an 18-month-old daughter and I'm so far so good, but I know that despite having a mom who's an expert in body image, I'm going to have a girl that faces issues because I do too. None of us are immune to this. We all are in human female bodies. So this is the name of the game for us. We're all experiencing objectification from every angle, even from people who love us, even from our moms, our grandmas. It's almost more painful when it comes from your mom or your grandma or even your dad. Like Totally. I know. I think well-meaning parents, especially in an older generation, you know, things were different. I remember feeling like I had to always have lipstick on. I always needed my hair done. I I looked better in heels than I did in flats. You know, these were things that I think I was taught by well-meaning parents who wanted the best for me. But and you know what? Those parents were growing up in a generation where women had very limited power and that power was in relation to a man. And so they were trying to help you be attractive to men. And we still live in this culture that is still deeply patriarchal and very harmful to women. We do. I I know that sounds radical to say, but it is true. And in a world where women are still not given the same voice as men, the same decision-making opportunities, the same money-making opportunities, the same ability to have a voice as men, we do not hear from as many women as men. That's a problem. And it leads women to believe that their power is in their bodies, in their sexual appeal, and in their beauty. And so we compete. We feel like beauty and thinness are are limited resources and we have to compete for them 
when they are not beautiful is much more expansive than we've been led to believe, but your daughters are still growing up in this world. And mine are too. They're growing up in a world that teaches women that we are bodies first and humans second, that first, when we fix our bodies, then we will be capable and qualified of all the good things we want in life. And that is not true. You can look around in the real world and see that that is not true. I'm fatter than I've ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been. My relationship with my husband is as amazing as it's ever been. I'm more successful than I've ever been. And none of it is dependent on the size of my body or the way my body appears. I'm in better shape than I've ever been. I also have more cellulite than I've ever had. And those two things can coexist. Health and weight are, are, we can talk about this all day, but they are not the same. Yeah. But going back to your daughters, the best thing you can do is be super vulnerable with them and say, Oh, this breaks my heart because I have felt the exact same way you do. And I am on a journey to seeing more. I grew up in a time where we did not have more truth about women, where we did not know what we do now about what women are capable of. I was not taught that. And I will make damn sure that you have been taught that. And you will do everything in your power to tell them you must rebel against every message that tells you that you are parts to be fixed, that you can't show up because your neck is too thick because you're too tall in relation to who a short man who doesn't deserve you anyway. <laughs> you know, honestly, mm-hmm. I, I know. want you to be so open with your daughters and help them on this journey of resilience that we all have to be on that resilience muscle. When they start flexing it young to be able to cope in ways that serve them instead of the dieting, the hiding, the fixing, the opting out of events until they qualify to be seen, it will serve them so much that by the time they're your age, when they're raising daughters of their own, this will be much less of a conversation. They're not yeah. going to be crying about their ankles. Well, I'm so grateful when when I was a new mother, before I had kids old enough to talk about this kind of stuff, I, I had read an article that said the best thing mothers can do for their kids when it comes to their you know body is not talk about diet, you know, just don't talk about your body. Yes. Like you're going to have these issues, but don't talk about it. And I really feel like that has been a blessing that I that I learned that because anytime I didn't like my body, you know, I might talk to my husband about it, who, by the way, hates that conversation because he always loves my body. Yeah. Thankfully, I would talk to my girlfriends about it. I'd talk to my sisters about it. But I made sure I never, ever talked about it in front of my kids because I was good. hoping to protect them. Yeah. And I think that it has been a good rule of thumb. But just hearing you now say it's OK to open up to them, maybe when they come to me with something like I hate everything about my body. Yes then that's the right time to say, I get it. I've been there. This is the world we live in. But I love this call to arms almost like take back your power. Like throughout history, women have not had the power that we deserve. And it doesn't all hinge on the way we look. It doesn't. It doesn't. We've been told it does. It does not. Prove yourself wrong. To a certain extent, though, gosh, how do I, (sighs) there is privilege. It's given to you and can be taken from you just as easily. And as you age and you realize that you're becoming invisible, you realize that maybe you weren't valued in the way you wanted to be anyway, all along. Yeah. And being thin is different than being groomed, right? You're not saying grooming isn't important. You know, you need to be well-groomed for society. You want to smell good. You want to be clean. You want to present yourself well, but presenting yourself well, doesn't mean looking like the, you know, the cover of Vogue magazine. Yeah. Of course, like uh, we need to recognize that body diversity exists. I didn't know that growing up. I grew up thicker. My sister and I both did. What am I doing wrong? Why are my legs bigger than all of my friends? I'm running. I was the best girl athlete there. And yet I felt so ashamed of my body because my legs were bigger. And if I had known, if somebody had said to me, Lexi, body diversity is good. Your genetics are what they are. 
you're never going to be able to change your legs. I tried desperately. I did all of the disordered eating you can imagine. I did all of the workouts and the running half marathons you can imagine. My leg size never really changed. You brought up comparison. I think it's it's so hard not to compare, you know, and I think as humans, we we need validation. And often we get that by figuring out where do we fit in with everybody else. And honestly, it's impossible not to notice the differences. Like my husband's mother is a very petite woman and his sister, very, very petite. And so I can be feeling my fittest, the best about my body. And then we get together for family gatherings. And in one second, I feel like a giant. Yeah. I feel huge. I feel anything but feminine and attractive. I just, I just, it's like my, it's just, it's hard to explain. No, I, I completely get it. I'm in the exact same boat. And I, I hated that I felt that way and that I spent any energy thinking anything other than I'm so happy to be here together. But it just felt like this mirror on like all of my insecurities. And as my, you know, girls have grown up, you know, th- her their girls are also very, very tiny. And so we'd come up from these vacations and I would notice a daughter not eating as much and, you know, changing her behaviors as she was also with just even too young to articulate what was happening. But I knew that there was a comparison thing. So this brings me to a question that we actually got on our mom for us, and it's from Juliet, and she is asking. Okay, I want to know how to teach my daughters how to love and appreciate their bodies and not compare themselves. Yeah, totally. I mean, so our whole work is under the umbrella of more than a body, like the title of our book, that you're more than a body. When you can start from that putting on that instrumental view of your body where you exist from the inside, not the outside looking in where you're not here to just be evaluated by other people, but you have to continuously click back in, use your body as an instrument. That is a really good first step to be able to experiencing yourself as more with that comes self-compassion for, yeah, of course, I'm going to still continue to face shame. Of course, I'm still going to compare our brains automatically do that. We size each other up constantly. As you self-objectify less, meaning you see yourself as a body instead of a person less, you start to see other people as more and you see them with more compassion so that even the most beautiful woman in the room is not like a threat to you. Or what if my husband finds her attractive or all the men are looking at her or, or is she thinner than me or prettier than me? Whatever. Maybe that comes for a split second, but it quickly leads to see her as just a human trying to function in this same world too. And the more you get into this work and you be vulnerable with people and open up with people, even the ones you think are so beautiful that they could never experience body shame, you realize that it is rampant. How can we talk to our children about body image in a healthy way at all the different ages and stages, because there's age appropriate language, right? So like for young kids under six years old and then like elementary going into their tweens and then high school, young adults, like what are some specific ways that we can talk about this as they grow up and should it change? I have a five-year-old daughter who I, you know, I have raised her completely in this world of body image resilience. So she's going to hear boys bullying kids about their bodies. She's, she's going to be exposed to all that. And so she knows up front that her body is an instrument, not an ornament. She uh, knows that mantra by heart and repeats it back to people. She heard a teenage girl say she didn't like how she looked in a photo. And Logan said, Hey, your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And it just blew my mind. That's a five-year-old. So this starts incredibly young. 
One thing that I think is very helpful is to talk to them about the media they're consuming and to be watching it alongside them. That is where they are probably getting the most unrealistic and objectifying sexist ideals you could ever imagine. We often think that like animated family and kids movies are safe and they are not at all all safe from these ideals. We, um, in our dissertation research, and even more recently did a big study that replicates some stuff that Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media has also done, which shows that the top 500 animated kids movies out today are still deeply objectifying. They still feature way more boys than girls doing anything to move the plot forward. And when girls are featured at all, they represent very specific unreal ideals. What you can imagine, you know, they're white. They are very thin, but with curves in all the right places. They have huge eyes, tiny noses. You'll see as you're streaming on Netflix or Prime or anything else, all the female characters always look the same. They have these unreal ideals. And yet the boys, they get to be shaped like anything. They're dark skin. They're light skin. They're potatoes. They're the reindeer. They're the funny sidekick. They're the attractive man, but they're everything. We don't get to see that from female characters. So you start very young talking to your kids about, huh, I wonder why there's no girls in this show or wonder why there's only one girl. And she just has to be like the pink side character. You know, Mm -hmm. I wonder why all the male penguins go ooh la la, and zoom their eyes up and down the female hourglass-shaped penguin. These images and messages are created by people who already have specific ideas for what they want to see. Then they can learn that they can also be active creators. So with my five-year-old daughter, we, after seeing a show that was just so unrealistically, it portrayed girls in just the worst way. 10 girls all shaped the same, all looked the same, all doing just absolutely nothing. We decided to make our own characters. And so Logan drew a bunch of girl characters that she wanted to see a snowman, a robot, a cloud shaped like a dog, all the girl characters that she wanted to see. So she could realize she can be an active creator too. If we teach kids to be critical about the messages they see in media, their eyes are open to the way people talk about bodies, the way their friends talk about bodies and their own bodies in a way that will serve them for their whole lives. I've been talking to my girls a lot about um, using our voice to speak up in, in a room. And, you know, one of the one of the goals I had when we started our business, Chatbooks, is I wanted equal representation for men and women. Yes. And I'm so proud of, of the way that we've been able to do that. We've got parity in our executive team and our leadership team. Um, so my girls have heard a lot about the importance of women's voices. And my daughter recently had an experience during her first week at college where she noticed that there were not enough women in that room. And the oh. men that were there were not speaking in respectful in oh. um, respectful tones. And, you know, she was infuriated. I was infuriated. But I knew that recognizing that was the first step. And so I can see how having these conversations and, you know, while you're watching the little Disney show, point out these things, help them start to to be able to see it on their own. Yes. So that they can let the fury <laughs> inform their decisions and totally. in the, in the way that they're going to think, too. And, you know, as they get older and peers become more important and boys, you know, when girls start to want to catch boys' attention. What can we add to this repertoire of tools that mothers can use with their girls? I think that it is so important for us to arm girls with the 
the critical capacity they need to rebel against messages that they know in their guts are wrong or that hurt them or that prioritize a male perspective on their bodies. I mean, it happens in high schools and in, you know, church events and community events with dress codes where we ask girls to bear the full burden for the dress code, Mm. because we teach them that they are sexy threats and distractions to the boys in the room. We prioritize the, Mm. it's called the male gaze, G-A-Z-E. We do it constantly. We've internalized the male gaze. Every single one of us have. And so we dress for boys. We act for boys. We picture boys looking at us and it gets in the way of our entire lives. And so when you can teach a girl that she must for her own benefit, prioritize her first person perspective on her miraculous body, how does she feel in her clothes? What can she do? Can she move? What can she experience? When you teach girls to be able to have that embodied perspective, to stop self-objectifying their life away, they are more likely to, when dating, to stand up for themselves, to say no when they want to, instead of going along with the thing they're doing because they're excited somebody is attracted to them or paying attention to them. We give girls the confidence to exist and then they can choose to be in healthy relationships that serve them. They don't feel like they need to be loved. I grew up feeling very much unlovable. I grew up feeling like no boys would ever like me. I was going to be alone my whole life because I always thought I was too fat and ugly. Nobody from the outside knew that. I didn't tell people that. I was class president every year. I was outgoing and successful and all the things, but internally, I just felt disgusting and unlovable. And looking back on that, it absolutely breaks my heart for her. And I've done a lot of inner child work to try to heal that little Lexi inside of me that prioritized that male perspective on my body instead of existing in my amazing, miraculous body. I think when we equip girls with to rebel, to speak up, and to pay attention to their intuition as they embody themselves, their miraculous body. Oh, this next generation of girls. Mm-hmm. Up, I am so <laughs> excited for them and for the rest of us. They get to reap the benefits of what they do. Yeah. And, and hearing you talk about the power that comes with all of that, like, yeah, they'll be able to, you know, set boundaries in every aspect of their life. I, I think so often women, we just get tossed to and fro. And I know for me, before I really knew who I was in college, there were things that I wished I had stood up for myself more. I mean, even with my own major, like there were songs I wanted to sing. I was at opera, yeah, opera major. And I, there were arias I wanted to sing, but I felt like until my professor said, now you are ready for this song, I couldn't, I couldn't speak up because I was just waiting for someone to tell me everything was okay. But this is about taking back our power. It's so exciting. Okay. So let's talk about back to school shopping. I love the mantra, the body is an instrument, not an ornament. But I noticed as we were doing our back to school shopping that girls clothes starting at a very young age and a very small size are looking very ornamental, like sequins, ruffles, bows. In fact, it can actually be hard to find clothes for young girls that are purely functional. And I know some moms shop in the boy section to solve that problem. But some girls, they want the frill. Right. And when I mentioned on our Mom Force Facebook group that I was going to be talking with you on the podcast, um, one of our Mom Forcers, Stephanie, posted this question for you. She says, You talk about focusing on girls' clothes that are functional, not ornamental. My question is, how do you handle girls who love the fluffy and the frilly dresses? My daughters also love to play makeup. So how do I emphasize that they are more than what they look like while supporting the clothes that they love? Great question. We post about this a lot. We do make some people mad. Over the years of posting it, people are less mad. I think they're starting to see that what we say is, 
prioritize practicality over pretty to help your daughter see herself as an instrument, not an ornament. So I'm not saying disregard the pretty. I love fashion of clothes. I get it. But when you prioritize practicality, like you would dressing your sons, dressing other boys, you realize that we, from a very young age, require so much work and uncomfortableness of girls. We do. We put these bows on their heads that fall down to their eyes, that squish their little heads. We pierce their ears when they are just babies and it hurts. Oh my gosh. We, we prioritize the pretty. And so they're wearing little dresses and they can't climb and they're wearing tights and they can't move. And there are so many ways that when you open your eyes to it, that we do in so many ways, hold our girls back from fully functioning. So what I would say is once your eyes are kind of open to all the ways that we prioritize discomfort for girls in the name of pretty, that you recognize that your girls are not growing up in a vacuum. They're growing up in a world where they see a lot of other girls wearing frilly things and being complimented for those things more than being complimented and asked questions for who they are, what they can do, what book they're reading, how funny and rambunctious they are like we do to boys. They're seeing a lot of shows where the girls are only pretty and not doing anything else. So yeah, of course, from a, from just a nature perspective, some girls are drawn to more frilly, pretty things. And from a nurture perspective, a lot more girls are drawn to these frilly, pretty things. So the best thing you can do is provide your daughter with a variety of clothing to choose from and help her in her choice by talking to her about how she feels. So she puts it on, you say, how do you feel? Can you kick in it? Can you stretch in it? Do some lunges for me. It's what I do with my daughter. Is it soft? Is it comfy? Do you feel good? And if it is, then go for it. If she chooses to wear the pretty frilly things, don't police her about getting dirty in the thing. You got to let her go. You got to let her move, but make sure that she's safe. Like if she's doing a lot of climbing and stuff and she's wearing a big poofy dress that can get in the way of her safety. I would definitely prioritize some little shorts or pants underneath. So she's not burning her legs on the slide. But the more you ask her how she feels in her clothing, the more she learns to prioritize how she feels over how she looks. Yeah. It just made me think of my oldest daughter who is 23 now. But I remember when she was in fourth grade, up to that point, she always just wore what I bought her. And I bought most of her clothes at, is it called Jimboree? Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> in the gap, you know. Yep. But one day she got dressed for school and she was wearing her older brother's soccer shorts and a big T-shirt. Yes. And I was I was horrified. You can't we had just moved to a new town. You can't go to school looking like that. Like look at all this closet full of clothes. It was it was a little moment of contention and it was my husband who helped me see that like no no no. This is just going to be a phase. Don't worry about it. But as you're speaking I'm realizing I I could have used that as a real teaching moment that, yeah, doesn't that feel good? And like, this is the story of motherhood too, though, is that we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but every day is a chance to do better. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of how I mothered came from how I was raised, you know, aside from reading that article that said, never talk about dieting. Mm -hmm. I'm basically doing what my mom and dad modeled for me. And I will say it was very important to me as a young girl to feel beautiful. And it was something that my mom used to tell me all the time. You are so beautiful, but make sure you're as beautiful on the inside as you are on the outside. But come here and let me push back your cuticles. Yep. I know it hurts. Beauty is pain. Okay. And then my dad, you know, always make sure you have lipstick on. Like I I got a lot of mixed messages, but knowing that I was beautiful as a young girl, as I went through awkward stages of puberty and no boys noticed me, I, I was so confident in my beauty 
that I convinced myself they were intimidated by me. That's why all my <laughs> all my friends had boys after them. They were not after me because they were intimidated. But hearing that I was beautiful was really important to me. And in fact, you know, even today, like my husband told me this morning that I looked beautiful. And it like put a little pep in my step because I had a horrible night's sleep last night and I felt like I had bags under my eyes. And yesterday we were at brunch with my with my family, extended family, and randomly my daughter was taking my picture. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, mom, you just look so beautiful. I just want you to know how beautiful you are. And, you know, I'm a nearly 50-year-old woman and that nearly moved me to tears. So Beauty Redefined is the title of your book. And I get all the stuff about the inner you know, confidence that comes from knowing what we can do with our bodies and how beautiful that is. But is it bad to want to feel beautiful for the way we look? No, of course not. Especially not from like your husband. There is nothing wrong with beauty. We would never want to vilify beauty. Of course, people want to feel beautiful. But we are coming at this from the perspective that you're getting a million messages and ads a day that are telling you how important it is to feel beautiful. And that feeling beautiful is a precursor for feeling happy, you know, for feeling anything good at all for being or doing anything good. And so, yeah, we want you to feel beautiful, but from our perspective and from a research perspective, if beauty is the thing that makes you, then it's also the thing that breaks you. Like the reason that, Mm. that girls are bullied in school about how fat and disgusting and ugly they are is because we've used beauty as the thing that is like of utmost importance for girls. And so that's the thing that we also use to break them down and it hurts really bad. And so if beauty is the thing that you're going for, if that is the goal, there's a million ways to miss it. There's a million ways for somebody to cut you down, a mean comment, a photo you don't like, you comparing yourself to somebody else, you gaining some weight, losing some weight and getting saggy, wrinkles, whatever the thing might be, then beauty breaks us and it hurts really bad. And so what we're trying to do is protect girls and women using like this resilience factor to protect them from the pain that comes from being cut down about beauty because it happens in our own minds and it happens externally from people that want to cut us down. Because beauty isn't the most important thing about us. Yeah, it's a thing. I want to feel beautiful too. But beauty holds less power when you find like happiness and purpose and value outside of like the narrow definition of beauty you've been taught to see, you know? Like I'm sure when your husband tells you you're beautiful, it's not because he thinks you look like you did when you were married. He thinks you're beautiful because he thinks you look beautiful and he thinks you are beautiful. Like it's so much more expansive than what you have always grown up thinking it is, you know? When your husband tells yeah. you you're beautiful, it's expansive. It's holistic. It's the kind of beauty you want to feel. It's not the kind of beauty you're sold from every other perspective that's narrow. Right. And when I tell my girls that they're beautiful, I am seeing their soul. Like I know who they are. I know their goodness. And I can't help but tell them that they're beautiful, partly because it was important for me to hear, but um I want them to know that, but I just want permission from you to be able to tell my girls they're beautiful without continuing to further their, further damage their, you know, fragile body self-image. No, you should tell them. I'm pretty sure that when you tell them they're beautiful, they don't think you're saying you look really skinny today. Your eyebrows are on point today. They don't think (laughs) you're breaking them down into parts that are beautiful today. I'm pretty sure what they hear is that you see them as the most beautiful, incredible, miraculous souls that could ever be. 
and make sure they continue to know that that is so important. It's not about specific parts that are beautiful. You're doing that. You're doing it. Okay. You've brought up photos and how they can trigger (laughs) a backlash. I had an experience this summer. I took my daughter, Claire, she graduated from high school and I took a bunch of her friends to the beach for a week. And I was, you know, postmenopausal me is not the thinnest me. I've got some issues with the way I look, but I'm embracing this new phase of my life. And I knew that I wanted to be an example to them. And I was going to wear my bathing suit every day on that beach and do all the things I love, hunt for seashells, ride the boogie board. I was going to do it all. And, you know, I had the greatest week until in the shared album with all 12 of us, someone dropped in a photo that I remember them taking even. I was, we were sitting on the beach with uh, my two of my daughters and a friend, and I was teaching them how to dig for sand fleas. And it was like a total throwback to my childhood. I was having the greatest day. And then someone said, hey, you guys, turn around. Let's take a picture. And I was fully entrenched in the sand. And all I did was turn my neck around to smile. But I noticed that everyone else, the other girls with me, they got up, they popped up on a hip. They like, you know, created this cute pose. But I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm a mom living her best life. I'm just going to smile at you. Well, you know what? I regret that decision because that photo that was in a shared album that I could not delete, it brought a lot of shame. It it literally almost ruined the trip for me in that moment. And I had such a mix of emotions. Like I was horrified. That's actually what I look like when I thought, you know, I was cute and young and <laughs> having fun. And then I was mad that I was having those feelings. And I was mad that I was still talking it that night, talking about it with my husband This is hard, deep, ongoing work that we as grown women need to be fully engaged in and that we need to be helping our children be able to fight their battles. Your experience is universal. We have all experienced opportunities where we were having so much fun in the moment and then a photo afterward robs us of our joy in that moment. What a travesty. That your joy from that experience could be so hurt by seeing a moment captured on a flattened moment captured on camera of you. I'm so sorry for you. I've also experienced this many times. Everybody has seeing a photo of yourself. You don't like robs you of an experience that was amazing. And I hope that you can go back and I want to help you work on feeling the joy of that experience again and not letting that photo hurt so bad. Because the truth is it is a flattened one-dimensional image that probably doesn't actually represent how you looked at that helps you feel any better. And also at the end of the day, because you are more than a body, that one photo doesn't have to hurt so bad. This happened to me. I wrote about it in the book. I had an experience where I too was in a swimsuit with my little baby at the lake with my husband. He snapped some photos. I didn't know he took them. I saw them on the camera later when we were driving home and the shame rose up so far in me. I immediately deleted the photos thinking he doesn't even have to know I deleted them. When I got home, when he was taking a shower, I laid on my bed. I spoke out loud. I, I just felt so much shame and shame that I felt shame just like you. And I 
I really wanted to harness, we talk about spiritual power in the book, not like religious power. I don't care if you believe in God or many gods or no God. I don't care what religion you belong to. Spiritual power is that deep power that tells you that you are not alone in the world and that you are more than a body. You are part of this incredible energetic universe that needs you, that needs your energy and light and spirit and power that knows you are more. And as I was speaking into the universe, I feel so much shame. I feel so, how do I feel this way about my body? And yet I do. I saw this like vision of myself exactly as I am not smaller, you know, not younger, exactly as I am. And I felt this like maternal pride for me. Like I saw all of who I was. I felt so proud exactly how I feel about my babies, you know? I loved every part of them, but it was so much bigger than that. The way you talk about your kids, it's not really how they look at all. And it wasn't about how I looked at all. I felt so much pride in who I was. I saw that vision and then I snapped out of it. I felt like I'd been seeing it for like a year. And suddenly I thought, no, I'm okay. Like, it's okay that I felt this pain. It's okay that I don't like that picture of me. It's okay. Cause I'm more than that picture. Yeah. I'm still loved. I'm still me. I'm still capable. And the truth is you are too. You were having fun in that moment. You are so much more than that picture. We're all more. And so as you can come back inside yourself, you can have that compassion to say, it's okay that I felt yucky and disgusting, but I'm going to react in a new way. I want you to cope with that still to this day, that shame you feel about that photo. It's time to cope in a new way. I want you to wear that same swimsuit. I want you to go back out and have fun again. I don't want you to throw that outfit away, to throw that moment away, to throw that joy away, because that photo didn't only rob you of your joy from that experience, but it has the potential to rob you of your joy from future life. You haven't even lived yet if you let it. Mm -hmm. And now is your choice to say, no, I will not cope in the ways that haven't served me before. I will not diet my life away. So I qualify to be seen. I will not get that procedure that I feel like I have to do because shame is driving me to it. No, prove to yourself that you are amazing as you are. Wear that same freaking outfit. Do your hair the same way. (laughs) Take off your makeup and do the thing again. Prove to yourself that you are amazing and that you deserve to live life as you are right now. Seriously, do it. It'll change your life. So that is that body image resiliency. Is that the work that needs to be done to have that resiliency? Because we are going to hit those potholes. We're going to have those little speed bumps, but that's okay. You just do the work. Always will. Bounce back. The point is like in a world of like body positivity and some of these other movements that tell you to just feel beautiful and you are beautiful and your flaws are beautiful. That's good for a minute, but it is not lasting. It's one step, but it is not lasting in order to survive and thrive in this world in a female body. You have to know that you will continue to face that pain. You will not always feel beautiful. You will not always feel good about yourself and that that's okay. When you identify that moment, you call it out, you name it and you choose a new way of living a new path, you are rising and it gets easier and easier. And the next time you see a photo, you don't like, it doesn't hurt so bad. And the next time those jeans don't fit that you hope they would, it doesn't hurt so bad. And you live anyway, and you show up anyway, and you use your body instead of punishing your body anyway. And life gets bigger and bigger and more expansive because you are more than a body. It seems like such a trite phrase, but it is completely life-changing when you live it instead of just say it. Well, it's the title of your book and 
I highly, highly recommend this book. You guys read this book. It'll stir up all kinds of emotions, but you will come away with so many tools and mindsets and a vocabulary that you can talk about it with your girls, with your boys, with your husband, with your sisters. This is, this is, we are in a revolution. Um, Oh my gosh, Lexi, I'm feeling so inspired. All the, all the feels. Um, You talked about the power of getting into a photo and we actually did a whole campaign at Chatbooks called Get in the Photo because we realize how many women are missing in the story of their family's lives. Primarily, mothers are usually the ones with the cameras taking the photos, but a lot of time we don't feel pretty enough or we're not thin enough. And even my own mother, when we coerce her to get into a photo, she's always like, eclipse me, make me smaller. We have to like stack ourselves so that we can't see her. But getting in the photo is one way to reclaim our power. I know I heard you on another podcast talk about going out, running errands without mascara on. Yeah, yes. I prefer the way I look with mascara, but I don't need mascara yes. to be able to function in the world. And there is like, that's just a small way to reclaim your power. Are there any other little daily habits or rituals that you can give us that will help us gain our strength in this movement? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has been a real gift for me because I work at the University of Utah, but I haven't had to go to work for ever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I have learned to prioritize my comfort in a new way. Like you, I used to think that wedges were best for me, you know, length elongates the leg. (laughs) My legs are never going to be any longer, no matter what kind of wedge or it, it wasn't ever heels. Those are too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But in this um, pandemic world, I have learned to prioritize my comfort. And even if I love fashion, but even if it doesn't look like I want it to, I really am like I'm wearing on zoom meetings. I am wearing comfortable clothing. I am wearing flats all the time. Now I don't do my nail. I did my nails for the first time in a year and a half, which was fun, you know, but I learned that I'm still me without like nail polish, you know, without a manicure and prioritizing my comfort has really been like a form of self-care and self-love for me that has been really wonderful. So I would, I'd recommend that to anybody. When I started working full-time, I had to prioritize how I was spending my time. And at that time, I got my nails done. I got my lashes done. I went to the gym off. Like I just looked at all the things that all the time that I spent on beauty work, as you call it. And, you know, it, it felt empowering to me. Like I felt, you know, because I felt pretty and I felt put together. And especially as a frazzled mom, I'm like, if I at least have a good manicure, people know I've got it together. (laughs) If everything else in my life looks like it's falling apart, but because there's only so many hours in a day, I had to totally reprioritize. And I have to say there was something liberating by stopping all of that, but it's okay to do some beauty work, right? Like if you're keeping it in order in your mind and you know that you're more than a body, you can still get lash extensions. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Oh yeah. I am not here to draw the line for you. You get to do that. Everybody gets to do that for themselves, but we do ask people to take an inventory in our book and the liberating idea of being able to like write down all the time, money, effort, pain you spend and walking it back, like proving to yourself that shame doesn't have to drive your decisions Mm -hmm. is so freeing. We want women to have more money, time, energy, happiness, you know? And like, if we all walked it back just a little, what else would we do with our time, energy, happiness, money, you know? Right. And especially as you get older, getting older, like the list of things that you could be doing and that the world is telling you to do. And Instagram is telling you all the procedures you can do to keep, keep that chin from sagging, keep everything up. Like it's time, it's money. And again, like, I'm always thinking about what am I modeling for my girls? Like, I don't want them to feel like 
they have to change anything about themselves. Really? Okay. Another thing we talk about at Chatbooks is the magic in the everyday. And as we've been talking, this phrase has popped into my mind because there's the way I look when I go to an event and I know that there's going to be press. And then there's the way I look when I, you know, it's a Saturday and I'm just going to Costco and going to work out in my yard. Right. There's like, not one's not right. And one's not wrong. It's like the full spectrum of the human experience. And at at Chatbooks, we, we challenge people to cherish the everyday. Like it's okay to dress up for the gala and, or, you know, the graduation and take all those pictures too, but it's what's happening every day without makeup or in your sweats or without like, you know, a filter or like, like that is really, that's where the magic of life is. So I'm wondering, can you share with us a moment, like a magical everyday moment that you have captured in a photo. Tell us about it. And how does it make you feel? Yeah. Oh my gosh. My magical everyday moment is that I have an 18 month old baby and every morning I get woken up by my husband bringing the baby to me in my bed and we snuggle and we watch a show. And she says, show. (laughs) She, She wants to watch a show and she wants to be placed on top of me. And I snuggle her and I smell her hair. And I have a video of my husband just capturing what it is. And of course I have just woken up. Like this is not a video for public consumption, Mm -hmm. but it is something I cherish because it captures this moment. It's going to leave, you know, now as of this week, I have to take my daughter to school. We don't get the snuggles like we used to. And, oh, just being able to have that captured. And I've taken screenshots of the video. It's, it's a dream. It doesn't matter how I look. That moment is everything. So good. We're out of time. I have so many other things I want to talk about. We haven't even talked about modesty, which is really that, that has, but I know you've touched on that on your Instagram and you've you've been on so many other podcasts. If if you want to know more about the work that Lexi and her twin sister, Lindsay are doing, just Google them, Google body redefined more than a body. There are so many resources out there, but I'm so grateful for the time that you've spent here and help answer some of my personal questions and maybe we can go to lunch sometime and I can just keep digging in deeper on because I really, really want to do, I want to do my part to help my girls, you know, fight this fight and, and my boys too. Like, I know we've talked mostly about girls, but I have four sons too, who I want their eyes open to this too and be aware of it because they have a wife, they have daughters, and this isn't just an issue for women to be aware of and working on, but you know, men who care about women, this is something that you should care about too. Amen. Okay. To close one other question that if you have a photo for this, you get bonus points, but what is something that people don't know about you that might surprise them? I think people, I don't know if it's that surprising, but I am a total introvert. I like a parade as an extrovert doing all these interviews and events. And, and I do feel like energy from doing that. I really do, but I'm an introvert. I love to be alone or, you know, with my husband feeling like I'm alone. I don't need all the stuff. I don't need the events, the groups, the, I just want to be alone. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I don't know if there's a photo of that. (laughs) Well, Hey, this photo right here, this is a great way for an introvert to work. We're at home in our homes, on a screen, not with all the hoopla, the big studio and all the people and all of that stuff. I know this working from home life is, it does have its perks, especially if you tend to be a little bit of an introvert. Mm -hmm. Lexi, again, thank you so much. Can you just tell our listeners where, where to go to find all the good stuff? Yes. So our book is more than a body by Lexi and Lindsay kite. Our uh, website is more than a body.org. And on Instagram, we're beauty underscore redefined Facebook, same beauty redefined. 
Yep. I've seen you answering questions on Instagram. Do people submit those to you through Instagram or what if someone has a question that we didn't get to that they would like your take on? Oh yeah. We get all the DMS, all the comments, all the emails, whatever you want to do. We might not be able to get to it, but feel free to ask. We do our absolute best while also having full-time jobs. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for being part of the mom force. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for joining the mom force. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and come join the conversation over on our mom force Facebook group and check out the show notes for a special chapbooks discount code until next time.